Our scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. Please follow along as I, uh, as I read. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, and attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As we... As we study our passage this morning, I would invite you to, to please keep your Bibles open or, or that insert uh, to your bulletin there handy as we go verse by verse through this, through this passage. Uh, this month, we're, we're looking at this theme of the God of all comfort. And, and this morning, I would like for us to look at the very first Christian church to see where their comfort was found. As we do, I want us to be asking ourselves, what was the first Christian church known for? And how can these very first Christian believers, how can they help us as a church today? And to give us a little bit of context to this passage, the last time Luke, the writer of Acts, mentions Peter was in the Gospel of Luke when, when he talks about Peter denying Christ three times. Now, here in Acts 2, Peter stands up in front of a crowd on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost meaning the 50th or the Pentecostal, the 50th day after Passover, to proclaim Christ in stark contrast to his earlier denial. So, so let's imagine this scene that, that's transpiring. We're told earlier in this chapter that Peter is specifically preaching to a crowd of Jerusalem Jews. Now, these would have been the same people who just weeks earlier were crying out, crucify him to, to Pontius Pilate. But Peter's message to these people is simple and impactful. He, he doesn't tell them the things they must do. Instead, he tells them what Christ did for them. And this is what Peter's entire sermon from verses 22 to 36, this is what his entire sermon's about. He preaches Christ crucified, resurrected, and sovereignly reigning at, Christ's, at God's right hand. His message is entirely Christ-centered. And, and from that, from that sermon, the church grew and grew. So, so what were those distinctives? What, what were the distinctives of that first Christian church? Well, two things. Two things result from, from Peter's sermon, that, and those are our two points this morning. Wholehearted repentance and wholehearted devotion. Wholehearted repentance and wholehearted devotion. So let's look at that first point, wholehearted repentance. So once Peter has, has given his sermon. Luke gives us insight into how Peter's message was received. Verse 37. Verse 37 tells us that after they heard this, meaning after they heard of the death and resurrection of Jesus, 
these Jews came face to face with the reality of what they had done. Their sin, their actual cries to crucify Christ had sent the only one who could save them to the cross. And their reaction was utterly heartbreaking. Cut to the heart, Peter tells us. This is one of the strongest expressions we find in the Greek. These people aren't just sad. No, sad wouldn't even begin to describe it. This is one of those heart-sinking, stomach-wrenching moments in life that, that leaves you crushed by the pain and agony of what's just happened. And I once read about a, a pastor who took a vacation to a little town in Wales called Beth Gellert, and it means the, the grave of Gellert. And the legend behind the town's name says that Llewellyn the Great, the, the Lord of Wales, had just returned home and he went to his son's bedside. But his son wasn't there. Instead, what he found was, was blood all over the sheets. And as he looks around the room, he sees his great dog, Gellert, with blood all over his face and blood all over his coat. And enraged, Llewellyn pulls out his sword and stabs Gellert into the heart, and he dies. Now, after that moment, Llewellyn goes into the next room, and he finds his son, happy, healthy, but lying next to a tremendous wolf, lying there dead. And, and that's when... That's when Llewellyn recognizes that the blood on the sheets was, was Gellert's blood. The blood on Gellert's coat was Gellert's blood. Llewellyn had slain the savior of the family because he didn't know what he had done. Gellert had done the most noble thing of all, and yet he was treated as the enemy. This is what it means to be cut to the heart and to begin to understand what what Christ on the cross means. And so when you you come to this realization, as a Christian, you come to this realization that all this time I've been treating you, Christ, as the enemy, but in reality, you did all this to save me. And that's what this crowd is realizing. They sent the Son of God to be crucified on the cross. Now, a Christian is someone who looks at Christ and, and, and what Christ has done for them and says, I didn't know that Christ did all that for me. But now that I do, my life will never be the same. How could, it, how could I ever do, do things my way, my own way, ever again? How can I ever look at Christ as the enemy? And it's being made aware of this fact that this crowd turns to Peter and the apostles and asks a single desperate question. Brothers, what shall we do? Look with me at verse 38. In this seemingly hopeless and and comfortless moment, Peter tells them that even now there is hope and comfort. Even now, after treating God's own son as the enemy, God shows the vastness of his grace. Far too often when we look at the cross, we, we only see our sin that put Christ there. Now, now that's conviction, and that's right, but that's only one part of the equation of grace. We don't need to miss the immense love that hangs there as well. Christ on the cross tells us that our our sins are, are terrible, serious, and awful, but nothing in the world shows a greater love. That that's because the cross shows just how much you mean to Christ. Christ gave up everything 
the world, his life, everything. And for what? So that he wouldn't lose you. The same cross that convicts you of your incredible sin also reminds you of his infinite love. And even in our conviction, we still find a God of comfort. And this crowd is beginning to realize that. And that's when they ask here at the end of verse 37, what shall we do? We might expect, we might expect Peter to give them a list of things that that they need to do to be made right with God. But instead we find the opposite. It's the anti-gospel that says do this or do that to be made right with God. But the gospel says Christ has already done it all. And so Peter's reply is simple. Repent and be baptized. Repent, turn away from sin and recognize that on your own you could never do enough. You can never save yourself. Recognize that it is only through Christ alone that you can be saved. Be baptized. Be, Be that visible sign of God's forgiveness and the washing away of the stain of sin. In other words, Peter tells this crowd to turn from their sin and be born again with Christ as the Lord over their entire lives. Too often we think we can let Christ be Lord over just a part of our lives, but, but not all of it. It's, it's almost as if there's this fear that we have that Christ can only pay for some of my sins, but, but not all or not the worst of my sins. But verse 38, verse 38 shows that when it comes to being cut to the heart, the forgiveness of all your sins is right there waiting for you. And in verse 39, we see that God's plan is that this same miraculous work is not going to be confined to just this moment. Not not even just these people. This promise is going to continue to be heard by people for generations to come. And so Peter then concludes this, this moment in verse 40 urging this crowd to save themselves from this this crooked generation, to to not reject Jesus as Lord and Christ of their lives. And so when we get to verse 31, we don't know. We don't know how big the crowd was. But what we do know is that in that moment, 3,000 people were joined to the Lord that day. 3,000 people went from enemies to followers of Jesus. So, so whether you've been a Christian for a long time or a short time, it's always worth, worth asking whether you are wholeheartedly repenting and recognizing the need for Christ to be Lord over every aspect of your life. If, if there is some part of your life that you are continuing to struggle with, please, please let Christ cut you there. It was, it was by wholehearted repentance that these people were forever changed by the gospel that they heard, shaped into something new. And so what did that look like? That that brings us to our our second point, wholehearted devotion. Now before we study this this next section, I want to make sure that we don't look at these verses as a prescription for a, a perfect church. Luke isn't including these verses at all to show us the duty of Christian faith but rather the beauty of it. So look with me at verse 42. Here we begin to see what what wholehearted devotion looks like. 
it's, it's a life completely shaped by God's word. It, with hearts pierced by Christ, Luke tells us that the lives of these p- believers radiated this, this internal transformation out to the rest of the world. It began with a realization of who Christ was, followed by repenting and being joined together, being born again into God's family, being baptized. Now, now these people have become known for how utterly transformed their lives have been, become by God through Jesus Christ. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, the apostles' teaching is listed first because they were teaching the truth. But, but not just any truth, not the apostles' own personal truth. They were teaching the truth, the truth about who Christ is and what Christ has done for those who believe in him. And as for fellowship and breaking bread, Luke is telling us about the common bond that we have in Christ. There, there is this camaraderie that we, we share together. These believers dined together, they prayed together, studied God's word together. This body of believers, this church, reflected those beautiful qualities that Christ himself has with God. And now, now their lives are showing what it looks like to be transformed by this message. One of the things I think that surprises a lot of people when they, when they go to the grove for the first time is, is to see a sea of people literally fellowshipping and breaking bread together. And at the game, there's always that moment uh, during a touchdown or when Ole Miss wins a game, you find yourself high-fiving and hugging people that you don't even know. But it doesn't matter. Because in that moment, you're all united. You're all devoted to this same thing. Now, on a much deeper level, that's exactly what's happening here. Luke is showing us what a life looks like with Christ at the center, with the Word of God as the source and reason of our devotion. And verse 43 continues to emphasize this. It talks about the awe these people had and the wonders that were being done. And this is something that Christ promised would happen. He promised his disciples that they would do greater works than they had seen him do. And this is that promise coming to fruition. And so when we come to verse 44, we start to see that one of the distinctions of being a Christian is that it doesn't happen in isolation. If you'll look back at, at verse 42 for a second, it says, and they devoted themselves. And then in verse 43, all came upon every soul. Verse 44, and all who believed were together. Do you see the pattern? They themselves, every, all together. Christians aren't islands unto themselves. There's no such thing as a a solo Christian. We we as Christians share an experience, a life-changing experience that brings us together and, and creates a deep desire to spend life with one another. And so as we move to verse 45, there's that phrase, as any had need. Now that phrase reinforces that when need arose, these Christians did whatever whatever it took to meet that need. It's not saying that they sold everything that they owned. In fact, we, we know that they didn't because in verse 46 it says they still met in their own homes. So verse, verse 45 is simply emphasizing that these believers had a, had a genuine love and concern for those around them and for one another. This, this sense of being united together, it created a, a new sense of priorities. And the things of this world mattered far less than the salvation that they had received 
in Christ. Maybe you've had someone from Christ Pres bring you groceries or, or cook you a meal or maybe even pray for you during a particularly difficult hardship. And we do this as believers because we reflect the love and compassion that God has shown us. There's, there's a joy that we as Christians have in being able to take care of one another and those around us. And that's what Luke is saying in verse 46. And also that phrase in verse 46, glad and generous hearts. Now that's, that's a phrase that's at the end of verse 46. That's the same phrase that we see uh, Luke using to describe John the Baptist, leaping for joy in his mother's womb at the news of Jesus. Christ is the source of our joy. And we also need to notice the complete lack of nominal Christianity present in verse 46. It's not saying they had glad and generous attitudes or something easily momentary and, and uh, superficial. No, no, at their very core, at their very heart, these believers were forever changed. And the world around them took notice. Look at verse 47. Day by day, day by day, it was impossible for these, these believers to keep this joy to themselves. They weren't trying to pay God back for what he had done. They were living out of the joy they had received from this free gift of grace. Again, Luke isn't talking about the duty of the Christian life, but the beauty of it. And if we can, if we can go back to the idea of a football game, you know, think about the, the day after or the week after there's a, there's a win. There's, there's that joy present. And, and you, ask the, you, ask, you always ask the questions, you know, were you there? Did you see the play? Did you see what happened? If that's the same joy that we have after a game, how much more joy should it well up within us to know what Christ and the cross means? That's what we see in verse 47. These believers couldn't help but tell others about Christ. And this message was shared and shared and shared across generations, oceans, continents. And we praise God that they did. We praise God that they did. Otherwise, none of us in this room would be here. We praise God that the, the beauty of the gospel is that he makes it possible for anybody, anybody to find forgiveness and salvation in Christ. Anyone, everyone, even the people in this crowd. So, so if we're wholeheartedly repentant, if we are wholeheartedly cut to the heart, may we also be wholeheartedly devoted to living lives shaped by the word of God. As we, as we look to the cross, may we not only find deep conviction, but also immense comfort. And may we not keep this message to ourselves, but earnestly point others to the cross as well. That's, that's the invitation this passage lays before us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're... Your word changes the hearts of people who crucified Christ into those who proclaim him as Lord and Savior. Thank you so very much for the fact that we are here today because of these dear brothers and sisters in Acts 2. And we, we pray that our lives, like theirs, would be, would be shaped daily by your word. And we pray also for boldness to proclaim the gospel to those around us. Whether we are here in our, our sweet former skating rink or in a new church building, wherever we are, may we radiate the gospel outward with, with as much joy as these dear brothers and sisters had.
And we ask all of this in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen.